You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. Good morning. I'm going to pray one more time. Let's pray. Father, praise you. Praise you for your word, for your Holy Spirit. Praise you for this gathering. Praise you for your presence here among us this morning. Just pray that you will have your way in this place and that you will be exalted and glorified. And we just love you and we ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to start with a commercial. If you didn't get one of these, it's a, an attribute list. It, it's not exhaustive. It doesn't have all the attributes of God, but it has some really good ones. Um, if you didn't get one of these, see me after the service, and I'll be glad to give you uh, several of them. Uh, and we'll talk more about that. Basically, the, the two reasons I wanted you to have that is that without faith, it's impossible to please God because you must believe that he is. He is holy. He is righteous. So it's good to know that list. Okay, Get it in you. Um, and, and the second reason is this is ammo for spiritual warfare. If ever you're getting those fiery darts from the devil, you know, God doesn't love you or God won't forgive you, you just need to read the list to him. No, devil, you're wrong. God is holy. He's righteous. He is just. He is long-suffering. When we get to heaven, I I can almost promise you, if there's a heavenly Webster's Dictionary, if you look up long-suffering, you're going to see my picture, okay? But he's also quick to forgive, Okay, so get that list in you. So I'm going to give you an assignment. What I want you to do with that list is put it where you will see it every single day and read it. Uh, Put it on your bathroom mirror. And as you're brushing your teeth, God is holy, God is righteous, God is just. Uh, Get this in you. Um, I said that one time at another church and a lady came up to me after the service. She said, Pastor Roger, you know I don't have any teeth. And I said, well, when you're dunking your dentures in and out of the glass, got it, got it, got it, you know, put it somewhere where you're going to see it every single day and read it. Uh, The more often you can do it, the better off you'll be. So it's a blessing to be here with you this morning, a privilege to be here. Uh, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Last week, uh, Pastor Will uh, began our discussion of 2 Timothy chapter 1. This morning, our primary discussion is going to be on verses 8 through 18. Uh, But we're going to read the entire chapter, uh, verses 1 through 18, for just a complete overview. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus Before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light 
through the gospel to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and he found me. Uh, the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Well, it was said previously by Pastor Will that the Apostle Paul is writing 2 Timothy uh, from a jail cell. Uh, actually, it's a dark, damp dungeon, a Roman dungeon. Uh, Paul has been in prison many times before uh, in Jerusalem, in Caesarea, in Philippi, and previously in Rome. But now, Paul is in prison for the very last time. Uh, Nero, who was uh, an insane madman, he torched the city of Rome. And he didn't want to bear the public shame uh, for that, so he blamed it on a group called Christians. And the people believed his lies. And animosity broke out against the believers in Jesus Christ. Since Paul was the leading spokesman for the Christian faith, he was captured and imprisoned for the very last time of his life. This is, uh, has been called past, uh, Paul's last will and testament. You see, Paul knows that his life will soon come to an end. Uh, we know that he knows that because in chapter 4, Paul writes, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And not, wrong, not long after writing 2 Timothy, Paul was beheaded on Nero's orders, and he entered into the presence of his Lord, whom he had served so faithfully. Now, you can imagine if you were writing the last letter that you would ever write, that you would choose the person and the subject that was most important to you. Well, Paul chose Timothy, his dearly beloved son in the faith. Uh, Timothy was Paul's uh, protege, his student, his disciple. And as he's writing to Timothy, Paul has a burden because he knows uh, that difficult times are ahead for Timothy. Uh, persecution, hostility, resentment uh, to the message, resistance to the truth, uh, all things that Paul himself had experienced. And now he's passing the torch to Timothy. So he writes to encourage him. And the primary theme of verses 8 through 18 uh, Paul addresses the issue of attitude. You know, in any endeavor in life, a person's attitude is very important. Uh, years ago, I was working in an election at a grade school, and I saw this sign on the screen, attitude is everything, choose a good one. And I got a, made a copy of that sign, and I put it on my desk at home. Uh, to remind me that attitude is a choice, and it's a very important choice. Uh, Paul writes Timothy uh, to remind him, Timothy, you need to choose the proper attitude. So he writes about not being ashamed of Christ. 
And he mentions it three times, not being ashamed. Uh, verse 8, verse 12, and again in verse 16. In verse 8, uh, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. You see, Paul speaks about not being ashamed three times because that is the heart of what he wants to say regarding Timothy's attitude. After Paul's arrest, uh, there were many who became fearful and ashamed. Uh, in verse 15, Paul says, This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me among those who are phagellus and hermogenes. Paul had been abandoned by everyone. In chapter 4, verse 11, he says, only Luke is with me. Now, very little is known about Phagellus and Hermogenes. Uh, they were most likely leaders in the church. But what we know is they abandoned Paul after his imprisonment. And that was most likely uh, out of fear, which is somewhat understandable. These men knew if they identified with Paul or with Christ or with the church, that they too would be targets of Nero. So Paul has been abandoned by everyone except for Luke. And he chooses to write to Timothy to strengthen and to encourage him because he doesn't want Timothy to be ashamed. Now, verse 8 gives us some insight into the mind of Paul. I want you to notice, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. You see, Paul, really, he could have had a major pity party going on at this point, you know, feeling sorry for himself. But we don't see any of that. He refers to himself as his prisoner, meaning the Lord's prisoner. He doesn't say, I'm Nero's prisoner. You see, Paul has been in prison many times, and he knows that God's hand is upon him. You recall how Paul met the Lord on the road to Damascus. You know, Paul had obtained papers uh, to give him authority to imprison Christians, and he was on his way to Damascus for that reason. And you'll recall, he was blinded by a brilliant light. Uh, the scripture says it was brighter than the sun. And he was knocked to the ground, and he heard the Lord's voice. Now, I want you to think about that. No one else in the crowd heard the Lord's voice. Only Paul. They all saw the light. You know, they were all blinded, and they saw the light. They didn't hear a word. And the, and the Lord said to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. You see, he was totally blinded. They had to lead him by hand into the city. And a disciple in Damascus, Ananias, was told in a vision, you're to go to this place, you're to pray for Paul, and you're to heal him or I will heal him. And Paul's vision was restored. So you see, Paul had met the Lord. He had had a, you know, really a close encounter of the third kind, so to speak, with God. And he knew the Lord. He knew that God was sovereign. He knew that the Lord was in complete control. And he was a chosen vessel. And God used him to write 13 of the books in our New Testament. Most of those were written from a prison cell. So Paul knows the Lord, and he knows for effective service to Christ, Timothy must have the proper attitude, and that's the attitude of not being ashamed of Christ. It's the attitude of being courageously bold to speak for Christ. Now, let's be honest. This is a very practical word for us today, because all of us have had occasions when we have been ashamed to speak for Christ or to be linked with Christ. You know, perhaps we were embarrassed. 
or uh, maybe we were afraid we would be rejected. I remember a time uh, that I was afraid I wouldn't have the right words to say. But if we're going to be faithful in serving the Lord, we've got to have victory over that. Not uh, being ashamed of Christ, is, you know, it's a common theme in Scripture. Our classic illustration is the story of Peter's denial from Matthew chapter 26. You know, before Jesus was arrested, he told him, he said, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. And Peter answered, said to him, Lord, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, surely I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Lord, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all of the disciples. And you remember what happened after Jesus was arrested, all of the disciples were scattered and fled. Now, Peter hung around, uh, he, you know, he, he hung around at a distance in the courtyard and three times pe uh, people approached Peter and said, aren't you one of his disciples? And all three times he lied and denied it. The third time, he even cursed to prove that he wasn't a disciple. And, and that's the, the classic illustration of being ashamed of Christ. And, and it's easy for us to be critical of Peter. And yet, without exception, every one of us who loves the Lord have failed. We, we've had our moments, too, times when we uh, might have spoken for Christ and we failed to do that. Now, we may not have cursed and swore and denied association, but we have all been ashamed of Jesus at some point, at some place, and at some time. But it's wonderful to look at the story of Peter because we learn that even the sin of denying our Lord is forgivable. Uh, John chapter 21 says that, after his resurrection, Jesus met Peter on the Sea of Galilee shore, and he said to Peter three times, do you love me? Three times Peter had denied him, and three times Peter reaffirmed his love, and our Lord restored Peter. Peter, when he was ashamed of Christ, was useless. But, I mean, how can you proclaim something that you're ashamed of? But the Lord restored him and made him fit for service. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he preaches with boldness and with courage and with conviction. And 3,000 people are converted to Christ in that moment. He went from being ashamed of Christ to being a bold proclaimer of Christ. And you see, it's only when we get past that shame and that fear that we become useful to God. And so here, Paul tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of Christ. You need to keep your attitude in check. Now, if you're here this morning and you identify with being ashamed, or maybe you feel angry at God or discouraged, or, or maybe you just feel like, you know, God is sort of out there somewhere, but I really don't see him doing much of anything in my life. I want you to really listen this morning because Paul doesn't just say, Timothy, have a good attitude. He reminds Timothy of the keys for having the proper attitude. And there are three things in this passage that are literally life changing, and they will give you the proper attitude if you will embrace them. The first one, let's look at verses six and seven. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. If Timothy is going to have the proper attitude for service, he needs to stir up the gift of God that is in him. 
And the same is true for you and for me. All believers have a gift from God. When you were born again, you received a gift. And your gift is to be used to edify the body of Christ. But how do we do that? How do we stir up the gift? Well, I believe Timothy knew exactly what Paul was saying because he had been taught by the Apostle Paul all of his life. But this was a, a mystery, a super mystery to me when I was first saved. You know, I wanted to walk in the Spirit. I wanted to glorify God. But I, I seemed to fail more than I succeeded. And at one point, I had some charismatic friends who said, you know, what you need is more of the Holy Spirit. Well, if you're here this morning and you think that's your issue, that you need more of the Holy Spirit, eh, wrong. Uh, that is not the problem. If you are born again, you do not need more of the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 3.34 says, God does not give the Spirit by measure. We do not receive the Holy Spirit in doses. Ephesians 1 says, in fact, that you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. Every born-again believer has the Holy Spirit, and you have as much as you need, and you have as much as you're going to get. So you don't need to pray for more of the Holy Spirit. And you, do, you don't need a second experience. I want to tell you how the Lord taught me this. In 1997, I realized the Lord was calling me into the ministry. And although I had taught Sunday school for years and I had served as a deacon in my church, uh, I was panicked. I mean, I was panicked because I was fearful. Lord, if it's left up to me, you know, I'm going to blow this. I'm going to mess this up. So I began to seek God. And the question I have was, Lord, how do I become the Christian man that you want me to be? What, what do I do? And the one thing I knew, though, from teaching Sunday school was that the source of wisdom and knowledge is found in God's Word. So I decided I would read through the entire Bible. And I didn't just read it. I was reading it out loud to myself. I mean, every night after we got the kids put to bed, uh, I would clean off the table, get my Bible out, and I had some study guides, and I was reading out loud the Scripture. I wanted to hear it. I didn't want to read it silently because I was afraid I would skip over stuff. So I read, I began reading through the Bible to myself, out loud. And the whole time I'm asking God, how do I become the man that you want me to be? I want, I want, you know, in the day of judgment, I want to hear those faithful words, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. What do I do, Lord? Well, as I read through the Bible, I began to discover things that I had missed. Uh, in the book of Exodus, I saw four times where God told Moses some event would take place and God would look at Moses and he'd say, Moses, write it in the book. And I thought, well, that's cool. And it happened again. It happened again. Some, some event would take place and God would say, uh, Moses, write it in the book. And, you know, I knew Moses is credited for writing the first five books of the Old Testament and I knew that God had used 40 authors in a period of around 1,500 years to write the Word of God. And I knew it was called God's book. But somehow I had missed that. And I saw where Moses, in talking with God, he would say, you're a book in which you are writing. And, and I thought that was so cool. But then I got to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I saw where God gave Israel what is called the Shema. It's on your screen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart 
And you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. When you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So God tells Israel, this is how you'll make your way prosperous, and you'll have good success. Uh, Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So I kept reading. I got to chapter 11 and God tells Moses, he says, Moses, here's how you'll be the man I want you to be. You keep my word ever before you. Don't turn from it to the right or left. Talk about it when you get up, when you lie down, when you are coming in and going out. You keep my word ever before you. Well, I got to the end of Deuteronomy And God tells Moses, Moses, you're about to die. And Moses says, wait a minute, God, we have to choose a new leader for Israel. Who's going to lead Israel? And God says, I've already chosen him. It's Joshua. You turn to Joshua chapter one, and God says to Joshua, Joshua, here's how you'll be the man I want you to be. You keep my word ever before you. Don't turn from it to the right or left. You talk about it when you get up, when you lay down, when you come in and when you go out. You keep my word ever before you. So I'm beginning to see a pattern here. Israel, Moses, Joshua, and and Jeremy, if you're here, Jeremy Berry. Recently, I was having dinner at Jeremy's house and Jeremy said, "Uh, do you have a quantum leap Message. There's a TV show, Quantum Leap, where the guy was leaping all over the place. He'd been, there was a show one time when he landed when he was in junior high school and he was looking down the, the hallway and he saw himself standing at a locker. And I thought to myself, you know, if I could go back to junior high school, if I could leap back in time and grab me and drag me into a room and close the door and say, Roger, listen, I am from your future. And here's what I want you to know. That's my quantum leap message. I would hand him, I would hand Roger a Bible and I would say, keep this ever before you. Don't turn from it to the right or left. You need to talk about it when you get up, when you lay down, when you come in and when you go out, you need to keep it ever before you. That would be my quantum leap message because I've learned the word is alive. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is the agent that God uses to change us. You see, for years, I wanted to fix things in my life. There was things that I knew, you know, that I need to fix this. And, and I tried, and I failed, and I tried, and I failed. And what I discovered, God is the, we don't fix us. God is the one who fixes us. The Holy Spirit is the one who fixes us. But what empowers the Holy Spirit to fix us is when we stir up what is in us. And that is done by keeping the word ever before us. You know, I wish I had time this morning to, to, to tell you all the places in the Old Testament where I saw it. I can't because of time. But David wrote, how does a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Solomon wrote, my son, give attention to my words and don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for they are life for those who find them. Anytime a new king was, was brought into power, he was required to write a copy of the word. But let's fast forward to the New Testament. John 8, 31, the words of Jesus. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You see, abide, when he says, if you abide in my word, or some translations say, if you continue in my word, it means to stay. It means 
stick. It means you have the glue where you have the A, the A tube and the B tube, and you smear some of the A tube, and you smear it, and you stick it together. That's what he's talking about. If you stay in my word, if you continue in my word, you're my disciple. A disciple is a learner, and that's what our Lord is saying. It's the same idea. You keep my word ever before you. Don't turn from it to the right or left. Or You talk about it when you get up and when you lie down and when you, you're going out. And You know, think about it. You're constantly getting up and lying down and coming in and going out. And that's what he's talking about. You keep it ever before you. And God commands that we keep the word ever before us. And, and in our text this morning, Paul says, Timothy... Don't forget to stir up the gift. Timothy knew he'd been taught. And then in verses 13 and 14, Paul reminds him how to do that. He says, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So here, Paul is simply reminding Timothy of something that he has been taught his entire life. You keep the word ever before you. Now, an interesting point. If you compare Colossians chapter 3, where it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and, and this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. If you compare that to Ephesians chapter 5, where it says, be filled with the Spirit. And in fact, in the Greek, it says, be being continually filled with the Spirit. If you compare those two verses, both have the exact same outcomes. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Being filled with the Spirit and letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly are synonyms. They mean, they produce, they mean the exact same things. So you have the power within you. It is all there. What is often not there is the release of that power. Now, it goes without saying, this is exactly why Satan wants to keep you out of the Word. He wants to keep us away from the Word. And frankly, the problem for most of us is this and this. You know, we've got all kinds of time for being entertained, don't we? We've got all kinds of time to you know, be on Facebook and Twitter, social media. We have time for all of that. But the problem is 99% of the stuff that we're feeding on constantly is garbage. Uh, years ago, I was teaching a high school Sunday school class, and I gave the kids a challenge. I said, for the next week, I got something I want you to do. And by the way, this is before social media. It's worse now. But I said, for the next week, anytime you watch something on TV or read a book or whatever it is you're feeding on, okay, whatever it is you're inputting, I want you to keep track and ask yourself one question. If this thing had to be endorsed, remember years ago on TV, they'd say, brought to you by. If this thing had to be endorsed, by either the Lord or Satan, who would endorse what you're feeding on? And the next Sunday, uh, blessed me so much, uh, gathered for Sunday school, and there was this guy who was kind of the main spokesman for the class. He was the one who always had a lot to say. He said, Roger, if I went by that rule, there is nothing that I can watch. And I said, praise the Lord, you got it. You understand the prince of the power of the air. The majority of the stuff that we are feeding on is garbage. I mean, I mean compared to the gospel, it doesn't glorify God. It's, it's, it's garbage. And if we feed uh, on garbage, our output is going to be garbage. 
But if we feed on the Word, the outcome is everlasting life. You say, well, does the Bible say that? Yes. Galatians uh, chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You see, it says, do not be deceived, because many people are. We have no time for reading the Word. That's our issue. Uh, that's why the Lord seems distant. He's just out there somewhere and not much going on in my life. And that's right where the devil wants us to be. The Spirit-filled life involves daily feeding on God's Word. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And it is life-changing when we do that because God uses his word. That's the agent to change us. So keeping his word in your heart is the key to becoming the disciples that the Lord wants us to be. That's point number one. There's a second verse, and these next two will go much quicker. There's a second verse in chapter 1 that is totally life-changing if you understand it and embrace it. It's found in verse 3 where Paul says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. You know, for years... I was burdened and I felt guilty about my prayer life. I would listen to WEMM, FM radio, and there was a program, the Glenn and Molly program, I think. I'm not sure if that's what it was called, but there was this older couple named Glenn and Molly. They, they would play Southern gospel music, and I loved the program. But at the start of every program, Molly would say, I've had my good hour of prayer this morning, and I hope you've had your hour of prayer. And I would gnash my teeth about that. Uh, I was working two jobs. I was taking class at nine. And if I tried to pray for an hour, I would literally fall asleep. I tried it a few times, uh, and literally I would fall asleep. I was just so tired. Uh, I was pedaling about as hard as I could pedal. Um, you know, it's a good thing. If you're a prayer warrior and you can pray for an hour, bless you, thank you, and keep it up. But that's not what God is looking for. It's easy to read this verse and, and just continue on without understanding what it's saying. He's not saying, when I pray, I remember you. Here Paul is saying, I pray continually for you. And, and I would have totally missed it. But he says it over and over. The Greek word literally means constantly, unceasingly, without interruption. Uh, when you look at Paul's epistles, he says it over and over. I unceasingly pray for you. He said it to the Roman church, to the Corinthian church, the Philippian church, the Colossian church, the Thessalonican church. He said it to Philemon when he wrote to him. And here he says it to Timothy. I'm praying for you all the time, night and day, constantly. You see, no one had to tell Paul to pray. Well, why is that? Well, just imagine meeting God the way Paul did. Imagine if this room lit up right now with this brilliant light and God spoke directly to you and said, hey, here's what I want you to know. And no one else hears the word, just you. God's talking to you. Let me ask you, if that happened to you this morning, would anyone need to remind you to pray ever again? You see, no one had to remind Paul. And here Paul saying, I, I'm praying continually for you, Timothy. Uh, you know, Paul knew that God was real and he knew God. That's why in verse 12, he says, I know whom I have believed. You see, Paul knew that God is omnipresent. There is nowhere you can go 
to get away from God. Paul knew that God hears our every thought. He hears our every prayer. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says we are to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It's because he hears us. He hears our thoughts. So what does it look like to pray without ceasing? Let me give it to you. First thing in the morning, when you wake up and you say, oh, I'm Pastor Will laying in my bed. Well, you are filling the blank. When you wake up, when your brain reboots, that is when you start your first prayer. Lord, praise you for watching over me through the night. Lord, praise you for another day of life. Praise you for Go down the list. If you do, by the way, if you don't know what to pray about, go down the list. Lord, you're holy, you're righteous, you're just, you're all-knowing, you're all-powerful. You are slow to anger. You are quick to forgive. Just go down the list. And he'll, and he'll, he'll give you the prayer, okay? But you begin your day with prayer. And then as you are going through your day, you see something, you know, beautiful, a baby bunny rabbit or a butterfly. Lord, thank you for butterflies. Thank you for bunny rabbits. I do that. I'd be riding my bike. I'll see it. But Lord, thank you for bunny rabbits. You see something or think of something bad, I, a siren. Anytime I hear a siren, I pray for my family. I pray for my wife. I pray for my daughters. I pray for my grandbabies. And I pray for my son-in-laws. And Pastor Jeremy, brother, I'm sorry you're number three on that list. Uh, but I do. I hear a siren. Lord, I pray, I pray for my, you know, my babies, my grandbabies, and my son-in-laws. I do that every time I hear a siren because he hears me. And that's what he wants. He wants us to pray to him. And in that last part of the day, when you lay your head on your pillow, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving me, watching over me. You remember a sin that you committed? Lord, forgive me for losing my temper. Forgive me for saying those words that I said. Uh, Lord, help me to do better. You see, it is all day long, continual. Just don't say amen. Just keep praying. And as long as you're booted up and you're going through life, we pray. It's continual. It is unceasingly. And if you embrace that, it is life changing. And when it comes to prayer, there's something else we need to continually do is confess sin. 1 John 1, 9, uh, verses 8 through 10 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, verse 9, where it says, if we confess our sin. The Greek word for confess is homo legato, okay? Homo means the same. Legato means to speak. In the Greek, it's saying same speak. In the English, we, we switch that speak the same. And here's what it's saying. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, that was a lie. That was a lust. That was fill in the blank. What God wants us to do is speak the same. Lord, you're right. That was a lie, and it was my lie. Don't blame your wife. Don't blame your husband. Don't blame your neighbor. It was your lie. Confess it. Agree with him. That's what he wants. Lord, you're right. That was a lie. I'm sorry I lied. Help me not to do that anymore. And the beauty of the verse, it says that uh, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And what it's saying is, you know how when you go to the beach and you come up from the ocean and they got the little station where you can pull down the rope and get rinsed off? What it's saying is, 
as we confess our sin, we are continually being washed. We're continually being rinsed off. You don't have to carry that stuff around. Confess it, agree with him, and get washed. And what it does, it keeps the channel going. It keeps the channel open. When you're continually being washed and you're continually confessing your sin, you can just continually keep talking to the Lord. And it's life-changing. If you embrace this, it is life-changing. And when the Holy Spirit points out our sin, God simply wants us to speak the same. And we are continually washed, and we confess our sins continually, and it transforms our relationship with the Lord. So, point one, we continually feed on God's Word. Um, Point two, moment by moment, we pray without ceasing, which includes confession of sin. And then our final point this morning, uh, our our final life-changing scripture this morning is verse nine, where it says, according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. You see, God has called each one of us according to his own purpose. He has a purpose for your life. What would you say is the primary purpose of your life? For many people, the primary purpose of their life is to be happy. Listen, if our primary purpose is to be happy, it is virtually guaranteed that you're going to have a bad attitude toward God. Why? Because we live in a fallen world that is filled with sin, where there is pain, and there is suffering, and there is sickness. And I, I, I should get Claramatics up here right now and say, hey, what's Paul's favorite song? And they would say, you can't always get what you want. And I don't know if Maddox is back here. Maddox always goes, yes, you can, yes, you can. But the reality is you can't always get what you want. And, and many people believe in a, a false gospel that says, you know, if you believe in Jesus, God is going to give you a perfect life. And, and when that doesn't happen, people become angry or they get ashamed of God. Let me show you the purpose of your life from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, You do it all to the glory of God. You see, believers are called to glorify God in everything we do, even those mundane things like eating and drinking, things you do day in and day out. And it's life-changing when we accept that as our purpose because having a goal pulls us in that direction. Aiming your life at glorifying God is life-changing. I want to leave you with a final thought. The scripture says that all of the created universe exists to glorify God. Everything was made by him and everything was made for him. The scripture says the heavens declared the glory of God, the mountains declared the glory of God, the oceans, uh, the birds of the air give him glory, the beasts of the field shall give me glory. Everything in all of creation glorifies God with two exceptions, fallen angels and fallen man. The word says that God has dealt with and will deal with those fallen angels. But what about fallen man? You know, oftentimes people say to me, I don't understand how God can let this world continue Uh, with all of its pain and suffering? Well, listen to me. What God is doing here on earth, he is redeeming fallen man one at a time. I want to show you something, and I hope it blows your mind because it blows my mind. Uh, These are the words of Jesus from John chapter 4. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such 
to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, think about this. The God who spoke all of creation into existence, billions and billions of galaxies, that God is looking for something. Jesus says he is seeking true worshipers. He is seeking people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. If you look at your list, it says God is redemptive. He is redeeming men and women one at a time. And the earth is the perfect incubator for redeeming mankind. Because every day, all over the world, people are exposed to the Word of God. They repent of their sin, and God is glorified. He is redeeming our fallen world, and He wants us to be a part of that. So what does true worship look like? Final verse. What does true worship look like? This is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you continually, I'll add a word there, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. The Greek word is metamorphosi. It's the idea of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. We get our word metamorphosis. You are to be transformed how? By renewing your mind, we feed on God's word, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And you see, what we're really talking about is living a spirit-filled life. The spirit-filled life is living every moment as if you are standing in the presence of Jesus Christ. We present our bodies It's a daily, continual process. We pray without ceasing, a daily, continual process. And we are transformed daily uh, by renewing our minds with God's word. And God does a work in us. And he is glorified as our transformed lives prove that good and perfect will of God. Jesus said, you attach to the vine, you will bear good fruit. And that brings glory to him. It is why everything exists. So you want to be transformed? Keep the word ever before you. Pray without ceasing and aim your life at glorify him. And God will fix your attitude toward him. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.